Ah, it is working. There it goes. Okay. Today we're talking about the pastoral letters. When I say pastoral letters, can anyone tell me what they are? Timothy and Titus. I heard it. Timothy and Titus. That includes 2 Timothy as well. So the Timothys and Titus. Um, They are so-called the pastoral letters, not because they're about a pastor. They show pastoral care for the recipient. That's why they're called that. Paul, and traditionally it is Paul that writes this, and Timothy flat out says Paul uh, right off the bat. And 2 Timothy says Paul, and 3 Timothy says Paul. So we assume it is Paul. But there's always someone who argues against it. Actually, I have a whole book on why 2 Timothy was not written by Paul, even though it says Paul. But, um, but uh, you know, it's, uh, so Paul wrote these, and he's, he's, he's dealing to Timothy and Titus. He's writing with care. He deals with pastoral matters, meaning he's talking about care of the soul. He's talking about orderly conduct of God's people in the church and in the world, how we should behave in the world and separate ourselves. And he's talking about, and he, he shows an immense amount of care for Timothy, who, as we have already discussed, was with Paul for a great deal of time and actually helped him write some of the books, letters we've already seen. And by this, he was one of Paul's disciples. And now, by the time he's writing these letters, he's sent Timothy out. He's no longer with Paul. He sent him out. Yes, he will come back from time to time, but he sent him out to be his own and do the work like Paul has been doing among the churches so that, uh, and, and Titus as well. Dating on these, um, we don't actually know. Before AD 90. Probably between 40 and 60 A.D. Now, but we're not sure exactly when they're. And there's different arguments uh, based on, you know, different things in Paul's life and, uh, and whatnot. But we're not really sure. Uh, so let's flip over to the first one. First Timothy. How many of you guys have read First Timothy? Red fishing. Anyone guys? Is is it anyone's favorite book? No, no. Your favorite book? Yeah, actually. It's a good book. Why is it your favorite? That's fine. Take your time. It very much is. That's okay. I'm glad it's your favorite. This is a good book. This is a good series of books. Um, these letters are all about Paul continuing to mentor his disciple. These are some things you need to know in the world they live in and the things that we're going through. Um, here's an outline. You may have trouble seeing it because there's a lot in there. It's a short book, but he's got lots of little things going on. And he's probably, as he writes this book, remember, we must remember that he's already had Timothy with him. For many years. So it's not like he's trying to introduce him to new material. He's reminding him of a few things here and there. Don't forget. Don't forget this. 
Oh, you had a question about this. There are some parts in here that he very well may be quoting a question. Oh, you had a question about that. Here's my answer. You know, so these are the kind of things that's going on. We've got to remember that it's short and there's lots of little sections in there because he's responding to Timothy and helping Timothy out. It's not like, he, oh, well, I need to write a manual for you, Timothy. That's not what's going on. He's been with him for years. Now you're out on your own. He's already trained him. He knows what's going on. You might have a few questions. Let me answer them. Um, so, so salutation, right? Uh, we'll just look at 1 Timothy, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ. Jesus, by his ca- uh, command of God, our Savior of Christ, our, Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. That right there is an amazing passage. How close are Paul and Timothy? My true son in the faith. My true son. That's close. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) You know, it just struck me. He says Christ Jesus three times in that. Um, Anyways. I urge you, then he goes on to, 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 uh, to, to warning him against false teachers. Now, remember, we've seen this in other letters of Paul as he's been traveling around. He's been arrested. False teachers are following after Paul and teaching things that Paul says is not right. The Judaizers are a big one. The, uh, you know, there's other people saying, you know, we need to get back to some of the old ways. There's people looking for... Uh, power struggles you know trying to grab the powers there's predators that come in he says so i urge you when i went to macedonia i urged you when he went to macedonia stay here in ephesus so he went on to macedonia left timothy in ephesus at this time so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer nor devote themselves to the myths and endless genealogies You know, as I read that, I think about all the genealogies in the scriptures. <laughs> uh, you know, genealogies are very important in the scriptures. But what we've seen people do is they start basing like their self-worth off their genealogies. One of the things people can do is like, well, I'm from this person. Or, well, you know... We even see it today, like, well, my ancestors fought in the Civil War on the North, so therefore I'm better than you because your ancestors. What does it have to do with your politics today or what you're doing today? You know, just because your ancestor did something right or wrong doesn't mean you, it has anything to do with you. But people even back then had this idea that, well, we can take ourselves back far enough. We can prove that we're worth something because our ancestors did something. He says, don't, don't get caught up in that. Ancestry is important. Don't forget who you are. The Old Testament's full of it. You know, keeping track of the, the, the genealogies, keeping track of uh, where it is. And a lot of that has to do with this person led to the redemption of this person. Like the Edomites were redeemed by Ruth, you know, as she was, you know, traveled because it, it came down and they were redeemed by Ruth. And so we had this... this uh, you know, this genealogy that it's showing that transition. And we're seeing where Jesus came from the line of David, which was the king. And that's why it was important. That's why it's in there, because he's showing from the line of David. And, uh, and he's not a Levite. Therefore, he's from the priesthood of Melchizedek, which means he's somewhat of an unknown, showing that it doesn't just have to come from the Levite tribe to be a priesthood. And, uh, you know, there's different things like that that's going on in these genealogies. And so they're important, but you get caught up in the endlessness. It reminds me of like uh, the Mormon church where they believe that you can be baptized for your ancestors so they lose themselves in these. They have, I mean, seriously, if you want to find out where you're from, become a Mormon. They, they have some ancestries and they will track down your history. I learned more from a cousin 
about my family's ancestry when she became a Mormon because they tracked down our history all the way down until we started coming to the United States, you know, whatever, however many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We've been here at least 10 generations. Uh, and uh, that's at least. And so anyways, because they were tracking down the histories. And, and uh, it says, don't get lost up in that. Uh, and the myths, you know, promote, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is, base, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and is uh, a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they are uh, confidently, uh, confidently affirm. You know, I'm actually just, I'm, I'm writing a sermon on the spiritual gift of teaching, and this is one of those passages that popped into my head um, as I was thinking about that, because, you know, I see that a lot. And in, in this church, you know, in all churches I've been to, someone comes up to you and they want to teach. Well, why do they want to, where, where do they teach coming from? They don't know what they're talking about. They have no training. They have no thoughts. They have no, they just want to teach. Why? Well, sometimes it's because they honestly have all this knowledge that's coming out of them. And sometimes it's just because they want a, a, a platform. They want to be heard. They want that position of honor. What's the scriptures warn us though, right? Teachers are held to a higher standard. And they don't, they don't read that because they don't know. Um, so we know that the law of good, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made for, not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels and ungodly and sinful, unholy, ir- irreligious, and those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for adulterers, for perverts, for slaves, traitors, for liars, perjurers, and whatever else contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms this glorious gospel of blessed God which is entrusted to me. Because people will use the Bible to justify whatever they want, right? We've seen that throughout history. You can get the Bible to justify whatever you want it to. We see it today. All sides of the argument are using the Bible. Because you can make it say whatever you want to say. Um, so then he talks about his, uh, God's grace to Paul and, and how he's been. And, and, and uh, um, if he's left Macedonia, left him in Ephesus and gone on to Macedonia, remember... He was chased out of Ephesus. He's talking about his, uh, how God has blessed him. Um, and uh, he talks about some have shipwrecked their faith. This might be him referring, some people, this is not known, but it may be him referring back to his own shipwreck. He may be in prison at the time he's writing this. And so he may be referencing back to his own shipwreck experience as well. I may be a shipwrecked in reality, but you guys have shipwrecked your faith. Um, so he may be imprisoned at this time. Um, there's argument about that. That's why I said with the, the dating of this is unknown. So then he goes on to charge Timothy. Um, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are uh, Hymenaeus of Alexandria, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, when he said I handed him over, he's not like he's praying for Satan to take him. He just means I've washed my hands of him. He's, I can't do anything with him. I, I, you know, God, Satan can have him. He'll teach. He'll come. He'll come around, or he won't. 
Uh, and sometimes we have to do that ourselves, right? There's someone in our lives that we just have to, you know what, I'm done. I can't have this conversation with you no more. You can yell at me all you want, but I'm done. And that's what Paul is really saying there. So I urge you first. And he talks about uh, instructions concerning uh, worship, prayer. Uh, request prayer and intercession and thanksgiving I made for everyone. Be uh, for kings and all authorities that we may live in peace and quiet and all godliness and holiness that is goodness pleasing to our God and Savior. Who wanted to, so pray for people, pray for your kings. In this our situation, pray for your president and Congress and the Supreme Court. Uh, pray for them that we may live peacefully. Now, as we say this, we're praying that they make the right decisions, and they, he's praying that they don't come and kill them all. You know that we may live peacefully with them. We're not, we're, we're just here. Remember, he very well may be in prison at this time. He's going to be killed for the faith eventually. There he's praying that we just want to live in peace. We don't want to, we don't want the Roman army to come in and try to wipe out the religious. Let's not make it all about us. <laughs> And there are those that are dying all around the world right now. Um, we in the United States, we complain about, oh, well, they did this, and that's anti-Christian, stuff like that. Well, it's a lot worse other places. We have to remember that. It's a lot worse other places. We, get to, we can still argue against it. They can't even argue against it. They're going to be killed, thrown in jail. or You could have your church. I was listening to one missionary the church was okayed. You can build your church, but you can't build a bathroom. And since you can't have the bathroom, it won't emit code. Therefore, you can't uh, open the building. So the church is fine. You just can't open it <laughs> uh, because they didn't want they they didn't want the Christian church there. They just the laws of the land set, didn't say they could stop them. But they could—they found a way to stop them from building a bathroom. So, they—you can have your church all you want. You just can't open it. Can't actually meet there because there's no bathroom. So, therefore, you wouldn't meet the code of of, of the law of the land, and and that's how they got around that. Um, they're still fighting that one, I think, but. Um, verses 9 through 15 are some of those passages that I hear people arguing about all the time. They're the ones that make people mad. And they are kind of confusing. Because uh, he talks about prayer, right? I want every man I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and dispute, which you know how many of us men pray with holy hands lifted high right this is this is kind of how we pray right <laughs> holy hands lifted high I want everyone holy hands lifted high and then he says I also want women to dress modestly with decency and prosperity not with braided hair or gold or precious. Pearls spoken in excess in silver clothes, expensive clothes, but good deeds appropriate for women who profess to God. You know, this in, um, in the United States, I remember this is, you know, in my earlier days, there were still churches that wouldn't allow uh, women to wear pants because they said it went up against this, uh, this passage. Um, and then, of course, some people interpret this. Well, it's in light that this is writing to Timothy in Ephesus, where the women were the priestess of the church of Ephesus, of the, uh, the goddess uh, Artemis. And so, therefore, it's referencing that these women were transferring from Artemis to them and then wanting to transfer over all the same religious practices they were doing in Artemis' temple over to the church. And, and he said, don't do that, you, you know, 
Um, don't be proud. And, 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 um, and some of this is just going back to, you know, like the Proverbs, you know. Uh, Proverbs 31, a woman who's uh, vain is not, is not good, you know. Um, and so there's, this is one of those passages that a lot of people argue about. How should we interpret this? And there's lots of good books on both sides of the argument. All sides of the argument. I would say both. There's multiple, more than just two sides of this argument. How do we interpret these passages? Um, a woman should learn quietness and full submission. I do not permit women to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Then Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Um, but women will be saved through childbearing if not continued in faith, love, and holiness. This is one of those passages that I, you know, there's lots of different ways you can interpret this passage. It's, uh, you know, like Adam and Eve, and um, he's referencing back to the Old Testament in this, and Adam was, but Adam was deceived, and um, as he took the bite too, you know, and so there's, and so some people say, well, he's actually quoting something else here, and some people say, he's, you know, this is, you know, and so, well, in just this circumstance in the church, so all women should be submissive. Uh, like I said, there's this three main viewpoints on uh, women in, in current theology, right? There's the uh, submissive, you know, the subjugationist, you know, women should be subject to men. There's the complementarist, which women are equal but different, and therefore they have different roles and different purposes, and and then there's the egalitarians, which believes anything that man can do, women can do better. I mean, equal. Uh, <laughs> um, and so there's those are the three major views. And a lot of the people that claim egalitarian are actually complementarians. They've just been pushed out by the subjugationists who claim to be complementarians. And, and it, it gets very confusing. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do because he's writing to the church of Ephesus. Uh, Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And I think a lot of it has to do with that. He's dealing with a specific situation. Um, but I do think there is something to be said because he also does encourage for like the husband to be the head of the household in order to be a mirror of what God and the church is. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be a living example of God, uh, of God and the church. You're supposed to be a living Bible, a living example. And so there's some of that going on as well. Um, that childbearing one, actually most commentaries, I says, when it says uh, saved through childbearing, uh, most commentaries just say, we don't know what this means. <laughs> I'll be honest, in most commentaries, I'm not touching that one with a 100-foot pole. <laughs> um, which is probably the smartest way to handle it. I actually wonder if he's dealing with, because um, um, Paul's very much a go back to the Old Testament kind of guy, right? He's very much into what we call the Old Testament, the Bible, right? A lot of times, how was a generation saved or a group of people saved? Like we just talked about Edomites. They were saved through Ruth. They, so they were through the childbearing. It was through the generational line. It was through that... Um, as they, one member became, and it kind of brought in the whole group. And I wonder if he's actually referencing some of that as he's in his thinking. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know that. But like I said, most commentaries don't touch this with the hunter football. Uh, there are some that are very much, well, if a woman has no childbearing, then she's worthless. You know, there's some of that. And a woman can't, you know. Uh, and there's always going to be some of that. Uh, you know, and then some of them just, you know, well, that doesn't really mean even, you know, some people try to change what the Greek word was. Well, that means, uh, and then they try to come up with some reason why it means something different. Um, but like I said, most commentaries don't even touch it. Uh, I actually do wonder if it has to do with, with the lineage. You know, it's through the lineage that salvation came to so many different people as they were grafted back into the family of Christ. Um, but that's just one of my thinkings, and I have no evidence for this. So. 
<laughs> absolutely. Uh, but I do think it does. It has to do with, like, it, you know, because I, 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 mean, I really think that's what, what he's referencing as he's referring to that. Now, either he might be quoting, some people say that that whole section is actually him quoting something else uh, for someone else, you know, to something, in response to something that we don't have, a question that Timothy asked or, um, you know, because that's one of the bad things about these letters is we don't have the full conversation. You know, when we look back in history, and I was uh, listening to a historian the other day talking about uh, uh, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. They said it's fantastic when they were away from each other because then we got both sides of the story because we can pick up this guy's letter to this guy and this guy, and they all keep in each other's letters. We can read all that. Then they get together. We have no idea what's going on uh, because they stop writing to each other because <laughs> uh, they're all in the same town. And, uh, and so we, we're, we're missing a lot of this conversation. We don't have what Timothy said to even prompt this letter from Paul or what Paul heard. Uh, and so there's a lot that we, we, do, we do question. But we can say um, that we can use what he says here along with what he says elsewhere to try to get a picture of what Paul is saying, you know. He does reference that we are to be living examples of Christ, uh, of church, uh, Christ in the church, you know. And so uh, husbands are supposed to be over, and then there's, and, uh, and, and the church, some of the churches had more of a family basis on some of this as well. But then he goes on, and he says, uh, and then he starts talking about overseers and deacons, which very well may be something that Paul was, uh, Timothy was trying to build up in Ephesus so he could leave. He was trying to build up this own, uh, Ephesus having its own back, you know, back so I can, so I can go back to Timothy, to Paul, or I can go somewhere else. I need you to have a strong group of people. So, you know, so here's a uh, trustworthy saying. If anyone set his heart on being an overseer, an overseer, you know, some of it says some of your translations say bishops, um, must be above a reproach. And then it goes on: the husband of one wife, temperate and self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor violent, or quarrelsome, or money. He must be managed his own family well, and seeing his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church, God's people? He must be uh, recent. He may, must not be a recent convert. He may be uh, come conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, the adversary. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, in other words. If you want to be an overseer, you have to handle things inside your home first. I've seen this happen way too often. People put church before their families. And I've seen churches expect it of people. And if you're going to, but if you want to have a good overseer, you have to have good family life. So church has to come after the family. And so he's talking about that. You've got to take care of your own family. You've got to be responsible at your home. You've got to take care of things at home. Because if you can't take care of your home, home and that's why, so I, you know, I recommend it for people that if you're having trouble at home, get your home life in order. Maybe you need to step back from what you're doing at church to get your home life in order. You know, go to counseling. And then come back. You'll be stronger for it. You know, if you're distracted at home because of home things, you're not going to be able to do the God's work here. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be thinking about home all the time. You're going to bring that back on to people. You've got to be a good report, too. And so it's important. I'm taking too long in First Timothy. We're not even in 2 Timothy yet. It's almost over halfway done. Um, so anyways, it talks about deacons, similar. What was a deacon again? What's the word deacon again mean? Remember that? I told you guys. What does it mean? It's on the exam. Just kidding. (laughs) 
Well, there's deacon and deaconesses, two different things. Servant, that's right. You know why a female can't be a deacon? A deacon, Because there's already a word for that. It's called deaconess. Deacon was referring to just the men. There are deaconesses in the scripture. Now, some people say this refers to the whole group, but this, or it could just refer to the men. This is just talking to your men. Women and deaconesses, this isn't about you. Some, so there's arguments on that one. Some people say, women, this ain't even talking to you. Stay out of it. Some of them say, well, this is, they're using the, the, the masculine to refer to all and just using the masculine for everything because they're referring to all of them. That's, uh, and so, of course, then there's those that say, well, there's no such thing as deaconesses. But it's clearly in the scriptures. There's passages that say to the deaconesses, uh, female, uh, so it's, you know. Anyways, but... Um, to deacon, be worthy respect. It's kind of the same thing as elders. It's a little, a little different because they're, they're not about teaching and about uh, overseeing. They're about serving. So they must be trustworthy and, and able to handle the money you're going to give them because they're going to be overseeing the benevolence fund. And they're, you know, so they got to be uh, able to handle that, you know, and they got to be tested. And, um, and also, again, handle your family affairs can't be out there not handling your family affairs. All right, I'm going to skip on because we're, I want to get into 2 Timothy at least. I'd like to get through Timothy, Titus. Um, but overseers and, and, uh, and teachers, false, false asceticism is another thing he warns them about. Um, what is asceticism? Ascetic. What does it mean to be ascetic? Okay, that's what I thought. Like to do with earthly things, you know, like, like I'm going to live like a monastic lifestyle, you know. I don't need nothing. Um, it, you know, he says, you know, there are people that are going to be like, well, I, you know, like I, I live a holy life, but not really. <laughs> you know those people in, in Acts where they like, Said they're going to give all all the money, and then they didn't. And God says, "You didn't have to give any of it. It was your choice. Why lie about it? That false that falsehood. Um, uh, You know, be a good minister." He says, uh, "You know, one of my favorite passages since I started when yeah October be twenty years in the ministry." I was 19 when I started in the ministry. Uh, this passage here has, has been uh, deep in my heart. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Uh, because you, uh, but set an example for believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. That's been one of my passages because I did start when I was 19. And I was actually teaching before that. My youth minister had me teaching back when I was in high school. So, but I, I was a youth minister at 19. Which, let me tell you what, when you're just out of high school, you're not ready to be a youth minister. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> but I was anyways. Um, Until I come devoted to you in the public reading of scriptures or preaching and to teaching, do not neglect your gift for which is given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in the matters given to your health, holy to themselves, and everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrines and closely preserve them uh, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I remember when I received my prophetic message, my high school youth minister looked at me and said, you're going to be a pastor. And I said, uh, very ungodly words, and the word no with it. (laughs) Uh, 
but he prayed over me. And then he started giving me the opportunity to, pre, to, to, to speak. And, and, uh, and well, here I am. Um, But, um, yeah, but he laid hands on me and, and prayed over me. And uh, I think it's one of those things we're missing in some of our churches is we don't speak into our, our, our young people. And some of that's a, uh, a, a phenomenon that we're seeing in our culture is a lot of the older generation, I'm not saying you guys, but a lot of the older generation doesn't want to give up their spots, their positions, so they're not training up people to replace them because they're just holding on to their spots. And so they're not training up people, so they're not speaking into the young people, so they've got a whole generations or two that are just floundering around with nothing to do because they can't get the older generation. They don't want to be replaced. They're like, well, I mean, look at Congress. I mean, how many of them have been in Congress since, you know, they're, they're now 80, 80, you know, 70, 80 years old, and they've been in there for... 60 years, and you wonder why they're still passing laws that look like they were around the time of segregation? Because they were! <laughs> um, you know, they don't want to give their spots, so they're not training people to take their spots, and we see this in churches too. That's why those of you in leadership, I encourage you, find your replacement, train them up. I'm always about find your replacement, train them up. Um, anyways, um, anyways, he continues to talk about, uh, different things, uh, uh, where are we at, uh, ministerial training, Christian duties, um, indictment of false teachers, uh, <laughs> one of the misused verses in the scriptures is here in, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it often gets shortened to the root of money is, is, is evil, or, or the, is the root of evil, which is not what the Bible says at all. Money has, it, it's, it's the love of money, not just money is the root of evil, it's the love of money is the root of not just all evil, all kinds of evils, so not everything, just the, the pro, start of a lot of problems. Because, where are you? Heart is that your treasure is there. Your heart is too, right? You know we can see what you what you put your what you what you enjoy, what you worship, not necessarily what you declare worth to. There's a good word. What you declare worth to by where we put our money at, right? Yeah, that doesn't mean you have to spend all your money in the church, right? You know, um, but that does mean if you're spending you know most of your money on gambling then you're declaring a lot of worth to gambling. You know, if you're, you're at the slots every night, you know, then you're declaring how much, so you're declaring, that, so, and that could be a, you're, that very much could be the love of money, because that's usually why you gamble, right? It's because you want more. Uh. It would depend, well, okay, well, yes, yes and no. If you do your job just because you want money in the bank, yes, it would be the exact same thing. Now, if you're doing a job because it gets you the money because it gives you vacation or because it has your family, then, you're, then the reason is not the money that you're loving, it's the family or the vacations you love or whatever else. So if you're doing it just for the Benjamins, the paycheck, if you just want the paycheck, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it could be, but it just depends, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're working, and you're working hard, and you're making money, but you, you want the paycheck because of something else, like your family, or your household, or, then that's not necessarily the love of money. <laughs> yeah, it really can be. Yeah, you can be like Ebenezer, right? Well, 
right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. When money sits in the bank, just to sit in the bank, it doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, okay, well, we've got 15 minutes. Let me go through Timothy and probably Titus real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Yeah, well, I want to... I, I, I mean, I could stick here, but then would be an awkward position next week where we've got like the general epistles and Titus and I don't know because these kind of go on well we've already seen second Timothy goes along with first Timothy a lot of the same stuff be encouraged to be faithful be strong when you're suffering in hardships um, what you need to know be godly, god, uh, godliness in the last days. When things, and this could be referred to just, when it says last days, it could refer to just any kind of hard times, right? You know, he could be referring to where it's getting close to AD 70 and the Romans are about to come down and destroy Jerusalem. Um, but also in the end of days, um, difficulty, um, Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great uh, patience and careful instructions. Uh, that's directly talking to Timothy um, as he wants him to uh, preach the word. And then he gives a final testimony of himself and, uh, and instructions. This is kind of a, uh, an, uh, a, a uh, adding on to that, that first one, first Timothy. Um, yeah. Now, Titus. Now, let me, well, let me back up real quick. Uh, Timothy is probably, uh, 2 Timothy is probably written while in prison. Um, probably while he's waiting on his final trial for execution. Uh, this is probably not just when he's in prison, like in Jerusalem, like these early days in prison. This is probably like right before he gets executed. Um, so as we, as you read 2 Timothy, and you guys should read it on your own, picture him cold, old, Waiting to die. He asked for a blanket at one point. Um, for his bones. Uh, he wants to pass on encouragement to Timothy as he is about to be gone. And can you imagine how hard, he calls this guy his true son, how hard it's going to be on Timothy. Um, so he reminds him to be faithful in these hard times. and calls him to preach the word. Wanting to see, he says he wants to see him before he dies, but he, we don't actually know if he makes it, though. We don't know that. Um, so flee from youthful lust and quarreling, develop Christian virtues, resist false teachers. Um, Some people think that at this time Paul might as well might as well be uh, almost alone at this time. People may have been kind of he'd been in prison so long that most of his support had kind of gone on. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but a lot of people think that. Um, you know, think about your own suffering in your life. When you first start, people are always there, but the longer it goes on, the less people are there. Um, and some people think that's what's happening to Paul at this point. He might as well, he might have well, obviously he had someone to write for him, so. Um, but, um, yeah. All right, Titus. 
Titus is another one. Uh, we don't know as much about Titus as we do Timothy, um, but he seems to be an apostle, uh, a, a, a disciple of Paul. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God, God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to the godliness, a faithful and knowledge resting on hope and eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and his appointed season through uh, seasons he brought his word and light and preaching and trusted to me by the command of the Lord God our Savior. Um, this is the shortest of the pastoral epistle, uh, epistles. It's to give Titus, who is overseeing uh, another uh, other pastors on the Isle of Crete, um, direction until Paul's aides arrive, until Paul's people arrive. This was probably written, maybe even uh, probably before, definitely before Second Timothy. We don't know exactly when this was written, um, but it was maybe while he was in prison, probably while he was in prison, but maybe not. Uh, but uh, he sent it out. And so, uh, so he sent out this, this, this letter to give them direction until his people can get there. Uh, Paul wants Titus to come and join him in the winter at the uh, Nicopolis, port, which is a port city lying somewhere 140 miles north of Corinth, and reminds him of the high standards required for elders and pastors handing on those who oppose the Christian message and will give him instruction for all Christians, old men, old women, young women, and men, and young men, and slaves. So he's going to give him instructions on all that people. This very well may be the first of the pastoral letters. It gets confusing because it's the last of the pastoral letters in our Bibles. But remember, we put them in order of length. So the longest Paul's letters is the first one. This one being the, one of the shortest letters that Paul writes is the last one. And some of that's because we just don't know when some of these were written. So any way you put them other than that, you may just get, you know, well, this one was written really before this one, and we don't know that, you know. Um, some of these things, as I read Titus, I think some of these are in response to things he has heard. And so he's sending his people to the Isle of Crete. Go handle some of these issues. And then, you know, go talk, and then calling the head pastor that's over the, all that area. Come meet with me. And we'll sit down and have lunch and do some teaching and, and planning and stuff like that. And so we only get a small snippet of this conversation. Um, but we get some good stuff in here. Um, the reason I left you in Crete, so he's already met him, was that you might be strengthened out what was left unfinished and, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he directed him already and he left Crete. Now remember that he left Crete, or he went to Crete um, in his first missionary journey. That was the first place they went. And then after Crete was when John Mark left the group for whatever reason, and we're not told why. And um, but there's also why John Mark wasn't invited back. <laughs> um, so we don't know. And, and so he says, as an elder, you must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children uh, behave and are not open to charge or bring wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. I think that's so funny. Uh, the uh, overseer... Uh, I'm, I'm, don't want to ramble. Um, overseer must be have children that are not uh, wild and disobedient. What's the, uh, the 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 old adage about pastors' kids? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's often because we don't treat them like human beings, and so they rebel even especially more because they try to take this too seriously. They gotta behave. <laughs> 
got to behave, got to behave. We got a lot of have to be kids too, and some of it's because they're in a fishbowl because other people are looking at them, um, which is one of the reasons things I've tried to protect my kids against, um, because I, I don't want them to to feel like they have to rebel later on in life just because to get away from that. We got to behave. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, but that is an old adage, you know, what's pastor's kid? It's always the PKs and the MKs. Uh, <laughs> uh, and usually the PKs are with the MKs when they, when they did that thing they shouldn't have done. <laughs> uh, sorry, missionary kids and pastor's kids. Got some looks on that one. Uh, I uh, went to school with lots of MKs uh, and PKs. That we're in school together. Actually, I had one guy going to seminary because his pastor was a Christian. His dad was a pastor, and so his dad expected him to be the pastor. He didn't even believe in God at all, but he was going to become a pastor because his dad expected him. I, uh, I felt bad for him because the church that he winds up to is going to be a, a false. He's going to have a false teacher in the, in the pulpit. Uh, and I felt bad for him because his dad was being unreasonable with that. And, uh, I do believe he ended up getting a girl pregnant, dropping out. I'd have to go back and look at that one. Um, anyways. But he gives more stuff on uh, on to uh, the... Uh, uh, on the same kind of vein as we saw Titus uh, that he gave to Timothy, you know, you got to be, you got to be willing to teach. You got to be uh, have a, a family that you know. You got to be have uh, um, take care of your home and, and be uh, along the same line. That's why I wanted to talk about these all at the same time because they're kind of the same. He kind of says the same thing in all three books. Um, and he does say you what must be what must be taught to different groups. He talks to to the um, old men first, right? You know, and older men doesn't necessarily mean elderly men; it just means older men. Um, he says, "Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance." Uh, notice it doesn't say just be respected. This is worthy of respect. Be worthy of respect. Teach them to be worthy of respect. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live their not, not slanderous or addicted to much wine or teach what is good, but teach what is good. They can train the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure and to be busy at home. Be kind. This is about discipleship. That passage about, you know, women need to be raising up younger women. Uh, and the society they live in now, it wasn't uncommon for the young men to go to work with the men at the age of whatever um, because that's how you earned your trade. Usually you went into the trade that your parent went into, your dad was into. So like Jesus would have been a carpenter because he would have gone to work with his dad. What a lot of times the women didn't have the same kind of thing. You just you were supposed to stay home and take care of the house, and that sounds so negative in our society where everyone works and the women go. To the, but in an agricultural society, it takes a lot of work to make sure the house gets run. It's a team effort, and uh, you know, it it's something that it was a very important aspect of life. They stayed home and made sure everything got running at the house because that was important. You couldn't just say, Alexa, start my oven for me. Uh, you know, there was none of that. You know, it was a lot of work. You know, we take for granted, oh, I just run to the grocery store. I'll run to McDonald's. We can pick up dinner. That's, we take for granted all that. You know, you got to kill the chicken and pluck it. How many of you guys know how to pluck a chicken? Yeah, I know how to pluck a chicken. You ever take the head, swing it so that the, the, the body pops off and hey, got the head in your hand? That was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, 
it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. So it sounds so unfamiliar in our ears. But remember, we got, we're talking to a different group of people. They were saying, make sure that you're about your business, you know, doing, that's what women were doing because they were the ones at home. When men went to work and then they, you know, the women took care of the home. It was a team. It wasn't seen as a negative. It was seen as a team effort. Was it like the woman was just, well, you got to stay home. It was about, hey, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done here. I'll go do this. You go do that. And they were seen as a team. Uh, and that gets corrupted at different time periods, different people, you know, but, uh, but that's what it was about. And we're no longer an agricultural society, so we don't really have that same uh, um, aspects. Um, anyways, so discipleship, uh, women raising women. It says, uh, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything and set an example by doing what is good and teaching, show integrity and sincereness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed. Because So, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Same thing he said to the, be self-controlled to the older men, be self-controlled. Younger men be self-controlled. How do the younger men learn to be self-controlled? Because the older men are self-controlled and they're teaching the younger men to be self-controlled. You know one thing that irritates me a lot? I'm going to say this right now. This generation say, well, look at that generation. If you don't like the way this generation turned out, look at yourself. Because <laughs> you didn't teach it. That's how it gets passed down from generation to generation. If you, if you want to be self-controlled, then you, te- you be self-controlled and you teach self-control. Example. You have to be self-controlled yourself and you have to teach it. You don't like the way the generations are turning out? It's because of the way the old generation taught it or failed to teach it. Well, actually, I don't think they failed to teach. They failed to teach what they should have taught. They're teaching something. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's, it's just, you know, and I, I hear that a lot. Well, this generation, that generation. It's like, you know, I get to be in the in-between generations, so... We're just overlooked. Uh, you know, you don't hear nothing about us. You know, it's this generation looking down at the millennials. Well, we're just, we, we don't exist. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so, it, it, you know, it's, it's the way that it teaches and the behavior. And it's just, you know, live by example and teach them. And so, um, so that's what that's about. And so, it's, so be good in society, give instructions. Do what is good. He'll go on to say, and uh, I'm a little over. Uh, remind the people to be subject to be rule to the, to the rulers and authorities to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one and to be at peace and considerate to all who show true humility towards towards all men. And uh, and at one time at one time you were foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating others. But when, we, when we, the kindness and love of God, of our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And he'll go on to talk about giving mercy to others and showing them the right way because we were shown mercy when we were living the wrong way. Um. So avoid the foolish teachers. Avoid false teachers. Uh, and then he gives a personal instruction and greeting to finish us out. The same kind of greeting he gives in all his letters as he looks names a few names of people he knows and uh, wishes them well and devotes them and says, The grace be with you all. And so I guess as we are finished, we have any questions, comments, concerns? Next week, we're going to be picking up with the general epistles, starting with the book of coffee, Hebrew. Just kidding. That's a dad joke.
Uh, I love dad jokes. All right, so I guess as we finish, my last words to you are grace be with you all.